What this is, is an, an awareness test. How many of you think you have a really wide attention span and you can pick up on, on things really quickly? <laughs> Some of you are shaking your head no. Well, we're going we're gonna to kind of measure that here this morning. So what this test is, is we have two teams and they have a basketball. And don't worry, this will be an illustration that I'm going to use in the sermon. I'm not just playing you something randomly. But we have two teams, um, three people on each team. One team has a white shirt on, the other team has a black shirt on. The only thing you have to do is they have a basketball, and they're passing it back and forth. So you just need to count the number of times the white team passes the basketball to each other, okay? Now, the black team's going to be passing the ball, too, so don't, don't get distracted by that. And if any of you have seen this before, don't give out any answers, okay? Um, so, Josh, go ahead and play that. And this video quality may not be the best, but it's from like 1999 on YouTube, so um, there's that. Y'all paying attention? Kind of distracting. This moment of awkward silence, right? All right, pause the video real quick. How many of you counted the passes? How many did you think? 15? Anybody else get 15? 13? The correct answer actually is 15. So you all are very aware if you counted that number. Um, Tim, did you see the gorilla? You didn't see the gorilla? Okay, go ahead, and, go ahead and play the video. The correct answer is 15 passes. Now, for those of you who are watching this, um, you're really not going to believe it. This is the actual video. About 10 seconds in, this guy in a gorilla suit literally walks into the middle of it, and he just beats his chest and walks right off the scene. You didn't even see that, did you? A lot of people in this room. We did that at Celebrate Recovery. We played this video. So I was hoping that um, nobody picked up on that. The reason that I played that video is because we as people are so easily distracted by what we want to see. We're so focused on our own world. We're so focused on our own lives. We're so focused on what we're doing that sometimes... We miss God right in the center of everything. We, we get focused on our jobs. We get focused on our houses. We get focused on our spouses and, and our children and everything that comes along with life. And, and whenever things are going wrong, we think, what did I do to, to cause this? What, what can I do to fix this? What do I need to do? Me, 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 me. Whenever Jesus is like the big gorilla in the video just coming through, beating his chest, I'm right here, I am the answer, I am the solution, and we're blinded because we're seeing what we want to see. And so the first point that I want to get to, I'm going to get into this pretty quickly, um, is that what circumstances cause you to lose focus on Jesus? That's number one. What circumstances cause you to lose focus on Jesus? Um, Last week, we went to Super Summer, or the week before last. It was one of the first times in a couple years where I completely set my phone, my 
my worries, everything aside, and I came there that week, and I thought, I'm just going to hear what the Lord has for me. And even being a pastor, even being in this for nearly six years now, being uh, able to have my own office and study and, and, and read the Word of God and, and pour into, have people pour into me, I still have a hard time blocking everything out and just focusing on him and his word. And so at Super Summer, I decided that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to unplug, and the children who went unplugged, the teen students who went unplugged, they didn't have anything but God there in front of them. And one of the things that I heard uh, was we, we had some game time. It was only one day we had game time. And I asked them, I said, so what's, what's the complaint this year? You know, what do you have? And they said, we wish we didn't have as much game time. And I thought, that's, that's pretty remarkable because I thought that they would get bored with just sitting around talking because that's what a lot of it was, was small group discussion. But what they asked for is, can we have more small group discussion? And what I found is that we get so distracted by these screens and by the things that are going on in our life that we fail to have human interaction and we fail to have interaction with God. And so I'm going to read a few verses for you. I'm just going to kind of blitz these real quick. And so if you want to write them down and really study them later, um, you can. But I'm just going to read through these really quickly. Um, the first verse is Colossians 3.2. Scripture tells us what we need to do. Uh, it's, it's simple, but it's not easy. It takes dedication. It takes hard work, right? It takes uh, developing ourselves and, and obeying the Word of God. It says, set your minds on things above, not on things on the earth. Proverbs 4.25, which is where I get the title of the sermon from, Jesus at 12 o'clock, right? Let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. Matthew 6.33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, the things that you've been seeking, the things that you've been looking forward to, the things that you are longing for will be added to you. Now, the thought is, seek God's kingdom first, and he'll begin to replace the desires of your heart that is broken and fallen and has a sinful nature, and he will begin to replace them with godly things. You're no longer going to crave Netflix. You're going to crave the Word of God, right? That, that's the difference. Psalm 1, 1 through 6. This is the very first psalm out of, out of hundreds of psalms. This is the first one. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but they are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. You see, we're kind of getting this dual, dual role here. We, we get this role where you, you're either rooted and grounded in God and the things above, or you're rooted and grounded in yourself and the things of this world. Romans 8, 5, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. 
Philippians 4, 8, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Meditate on these things. Now, I discovered very quickly that my mind is just absolutely consumed with being comfortable. I want everything, and I want it right now. I want to be able to look up a video and see it. I want to be able to order my thing on Amazon and to get here the next day or the same day or 10 minutes after I ordered it. That would be perfect, right? Instantly, that would be even better. I want to have it right now. But what that creates in us is comfort. It doesn't create any sort of discipline. It doesn't create any sort of character. Whenever things are easy, we don't learn anything. Think back, uh, what happened 200 days ago? Do you remember what you ate? Do you remember uh, what you had for lunch or dinner? Do you remember where you went, where you were? I bet if you lost somebody close to you on that day, you'd remember exactly what happened 200 days ago. I bet if you were injured in a car wreck or, or cut your hand, you'd remember exactly what happened on that day. Because we, we experience so many days that are just go with the flow. We just do what we need to do. We don't remember those because it's not important. What is important is whenever something bad happens, we remember that because we learn from it and we grow and we change. So don't focus on the bad things. Focus on what is pure, what is lovely, what is of good report. Meditate on these things. Proverbs 16.3, commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. 1 Corinthians 10.13, No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. And then the last one on this first point, Colossians 2.6-8, And you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. This is the entire world today. The entire media, the entire Facebook, Twitter, all these things are wanting you to be consumed And they actually have programmers who are are designing things to grab your attention and your focus and so that you are on these things constantly, that you are constantly being consumed and, and instantly triggered to look at your phones and to be obsessed with it. We have this this understanding in the world that that it's not what we it's not the easy thing that that challenges us and makes us grow. The easy thing just keeps us locked in. So that gets us to point number two. There's two point of views that we can take. One is self-centered, and the other is God-centered. Jesus, 12 o'clock, right? Jesus, 12 o'clock. Romans 8, 5, I've already covered this. It says, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. You can either live in our flesh, that's our point of view, and think about the lens whenever you live through the flesh. 
You're no longer concerned with, uh, with helping others. Uh, you're no longer concerned with serving in the church. You're no longer concerned uh, with helping out with, um, you know, any, anything that, is, that God is leading you to. Because if you're in the flesh, you can't even hear from the Word of God. You can't even hear what God is trying to teach you and tell you and direct you. But whenever you're in the flesh, you just focus on the things of the flesh. That's it. 1 Corinthians 2.14 But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Now see, it's... I say it's okay. It's really not okay, but it's understandable why the world is consumed by these things. Why the world is consumed by everything that isn't godly. It's because they don't have the Spirit of God working within them. But we as believers do have the Spirit of God. So why are we so easily tempted? Why are we so easily uh, manipulated into losing focus on God and, and, and putting our focus on the world? But we also ask the questions, and I, I'm sorry if somebody is, has suffered um, here recently. I, I don't mean to just poke at you, but, but we always answer this, ask this question, why, God, did you allow this suffering to happen to us? Why did you allow these bad things to happen in your life? Why did you allow this person to die at this age? Why did you allow these things to happen? Why is it that, that I just keep getting punished? Why is it that, that things just aren't going good for me? Have you ever thought those things? I know I sure have. And what I learned a couple weeks ago is that my focus was self-centered and not God-centered. Because whenever you look at it, whenever you attempt to look at it from God's point of view, what is two years to God? What is one year? What is a hundred years? What's a million years? God doesn't plan things in a lifetime. God plans things from eternity. We have no comprehension of what God is doing with our pain to use it to bring him glory. We have no idea. No idea whatsoever. The Israelites took a long time to figure this out. Um, But before we even get to that, I I want you to think about the entire book of Job. If you've never read Job, read it from, from cover to cover. It starts off, Job has everything going for him. He's got property, he's got a big family, uh, he's got servants, he's got everything that you could want. His life is good. And then God allows Satan to just completely disrupt his life. Did Job do anything wrong? It doesn't say so. It says he was blameless and he walked upright. So you might think the end of the book of Job will tell us the answer. God, why did you allow suffering to happen to Job? But he doesn't give that answer. What he does is he appears on the scene and he says, I am God. You should never question who I am. I'm the one who, who can fish Leviathan out of the ocean. I'm the one who set the earth right in the middle of space. I'm the one who created all things. You should know that I have a plan and a purpose for your pain. And then he proceeds to never tell Job anything about why he did that. Because it's not important. The important thing is that you trust God. And I know that's a hard thing to do. It's difficult for me in my life. But that's what faith is. It's to be able to trust in God to know that he has this all figured out even when you don't and even when I don't. So this gets us to our main, 
our main story here this morning, so to speak. This is why I wanted to bring in my son, Snake. I did not bring it in, so you don't have to worry. Um, I may bring it for the second service. I don't know. We'll see how awake they are. But um, the point number three is the Israelites' focus was self-centered. That's the next fill in the blank. So this story comes from the book of Numbers, and um, it's really interesting. I, I ran across this. I was listening to a sermon, and, and, I, and I learned about it. Um, I'd read the story a lot, but it's one of those stories that's not very long, so I just kind of skipped over it. But to give you a little bit of context, the Israelites were in Egypt as slaves for over 400 years. Uh, Moses was led by God to break them out of captivity, where they were working for the Egyptians as slaves, uh, you know, being beat, being punished, uh, working all day, every day, miserable life, and God sends Moses to bring them out of that, breaks the bonds of slavery. And you might all think they should be so thankful that that happened. And not only did God do that, the armies were following the Israelites the biggest army on the planet, and God caused the Red Sea to just completely obliterate them right in front of the Israelites. The Israelites watched it happen. Not only that, but God led them, physically led them through the wilderness. Whenever they were hungry, God sent them food, not just any food. Psalm tells us that the manna that they ate in the desert is angels' food. Do you all know that? It says that in Psalms. That's kind of crazy. How good do you think that tasted? I bet it's better than anything we have here. But the Israelites were like, nope, that's not good enough. We want something else. So God sent birds. We're thirsty. God sent water. God provided their every need. And even with the manna, he said, gather enough for you. I will see that you have enough. Whenever they gathered too much, it would spoil. If they gathered too little, he would make it enough. There was just enough. And for 40 years, he asked the Israelites, trust me. Trust me. Trust me. And we get to Numbers 21. (laughs) Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. So the Red Sea happened. God parted the waters, swallowed the Israelite army. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. Now, is that true? There's no food and no water? No. God provided food. He provided water. He provided all that the Israelites needed. So God... Uh, took them, and he cradled them, and he said, it's okay, I'll give you everything you want. No need to learn anything new, right? That's how the story goes? No, (laughs) not at all. That's not what happens. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. I want you to, to think about this. This isn't like the serpents were on fire. What this means is that whenever you got bit by these serpents, every part of your body felt like it was on fire, Now, what does that make you think of? The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Like, hello, Israelites, wake up. 
I've provided everything for you. Do you need uh, to go back to Egypt into slavery? Is that really what you want? Here's some fiery serpents to wake you up from whatever it is that you're going through. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned. Now look at that. The pain caused the people to repent and realize their sin. The pain of being bit by these fiery serpents allowed the people to stop their daily life, their complaining, their everything, and look to God and say, we have sinned. We have sinned for you. We have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord, that he take the serpents away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. So, so God takes the serpents away, right? That's how the story goes? No. Even still, God does not take the serpents away. The ster- serpents are still there. Their venom still hurts. Their venom still sets you on fire physically. Not literally, but it sets you on fire. Your nerve endings feel like they are burning. The people were still getting bit, even though they asked Moses, please talk to the Lord on our behalf. But the Lord provided a cure for it. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. Some translations say a bronze serpent. And set it on a pole. And it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, and so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Now, there's a few things in here that kind of concern me, because one is, um, I've went through trials the past couple of years, and I would like to think that I am not just being punished. I would like to think that. I would like to think that God has not sent fiery serpents in my own life to just punish me for the sake of punishing me. I don't believe that's the case. I believe that God loves me enough that he allows things to happen in my life to turn me away from my worldliness and turn me toward him. So I want you to think about that here in your own life. What has led you away from God? What consumes your time, your energy, Everything that you do revolves around something that is not God. If you have something like that in your life, that is called an idol. That is a sin. That is idolatry. And maybe something has happened in your life or something may be coming up, getting ready to happen, that's going to completely remove you from that idol and completely cause you to either trust in the Lord or go your own sinful ways, and it's not going to be good. You see, God provided a cure, a solution. He didn't remove the serpents. He didn't remove the snakes. But he set a pole for everybody to see. And he said, if you get bit and you're about to die, all you have to do, the only thing you have to do is come look at this bronze serpent that I had Moses make. If you do this, you're healed. You think the Israelites did that? Do you think 100% of them, whenever they were bit, they went to the bronze serpent? I bet a lot of them got bit and died anyways. I bet they thought there's, that's too simple. There's no way. You know why I think that? Because God provided breakfast, lunch, and dinner for them every day. He provided everything that they they needed for 40 years in the desert, and they still were rejecting God. And so there are some people out of their own stubbornness that even though they were bit, 
And even though they had a cure, even though they were suffering in this brokenness, they still would refuse to look upon the serpent and live. But the ones who did, they were just cured. It was that simple. You walk up, you look at the serpent, and you're healed. That's all there is to it. No more fiery snake venom coursing through your veins. The next time we see this fiery serpent um, is whenever we get to uh, King Hezekiah, and he starts taking out all the idols, and he starts cleaning up the temple. Uh, This is found in 2 Kings 18. Um, The Israelites took something God-centered and made it self-centered. So um, the Israelites took this bronze serpent, and instead of looking at it as a representation of God healing the nations, they actually started worshiping this snake pole. They started bowing down to it. They had a specific name for it, and they started worshiping it. So let me pause real quick before I read this story. We can take something that God has given us that is from God, and we can also make that an idol if we're not looking at it through the lens of God. We can go to church for our entire life. God bless us with church. And if we never change anything about ourselves by hearing the word, by by growing in our faith, by digging deeper, by allowing God's spirit to change us, then we've taken something that has been given by God and we are turning it into an idol. We may have an alarm set for 5 o'clock every morning to wake up and pray, but if we're doing that out of habit instead of doing that out of the joy of the Lord, that can be an idol. If, if we're just saying the same empty things over and over, if we're allowing these punishments to happen to us and never learning and growing from them, we can make these idols. We can take pain and suffering and make them idols. We can dwell and fixate on them so much that we've made them idols. Look at this, 2 Kings 18.4. He removed the high places and broke the sacred pillars, cut down the wooden image, and broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the children of Israel burned incense to it and called it Nehushtan. Capital word, they turned that into a god. The thing that was supposed to be a tool, right? Just look on this. Moses make this. When they look on it, they'll be cured. It's just a tool. It's, not, it, it, it's coming from me. But instead, they made it a god, and they began to worship it. So Hezekiah destroyed it. There's one more place in Scripture, and this will be the last of it, where we, where we find this bronze serpent. It's in reference to Jesus. So this is the last point. Jesus and the bronze serpent. Everybody knows John 3.16, right? It's the famous verse. Everybody has it committed to memory. But what is said just before John 3.16? Here's John 3.13 and 14. No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven. That is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. Talking about Jesus. Listen to this. I don't know if you've ever caught this or if you've ever associated it. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, 
Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That gives me chills thinking about how God has placed this all throughout Scripture, and then he revealed to us what heals us, what cures us, what gets rid of this fiery poison that's coursing through our veins called sin. When we look upon Jesus, when we turn to him, whenever we have that faith like a mustard seed, we don't understand it. We, we don't understand why he would make a way, but he did. And it's really, really simple. It's not easy. It's simple. Just like the serpent. It is simple. Just look at it. Just repent and turn from your sin and trust in Jesus. It may not make sense to the world, but whenever it happens to us, we are changed. Now, I have a comparison here. I'm going to go through these quickly, and then we'll go into our time of invitation. But um, I have six comparisons here. Number one, both, both must be lifted up. The bronze serpent was right in the middle of camp. Jesus was on Calvary for all to see. He was displayed like a criminal. He was up on top of a hill so that many people could witness that. That's why they had Calvary there. Number two, both people both must both saved people from death. The serpent from physical death and Jesus from spiritual death. Number three, both represent the very thing that is killing us. The bronze serpent represented the snakes. Jesus is there to be a representation that he can bear all of our sin and he died on Calvary so that we don't have to face the punishment for our sin. Number four, both require personal decisions. They have to choose to look at the fiery serpent. Some of them didn't. It doesn't say that in Scripture, but I believe there's a point to having that that there. God could have just healed everybody. He didn't have to send a bronze serpent. He could have just healed them, but he didn't. Just in the same way, some people can look upon Jesus, but they haven't made a personal decision to follow Jesus. They have to look. It's simple, but not easy. That's the fifth one. It is simple, but not easy. Some may think it's foolishness. There's no way that all of our sin can be remedied by one person. But what is foolishness to the world will be glorified with God. Simple, but not easy. The sixth one, word had to be spread throughout the camp. This is what I really want you to focus on. Um, Moses set this serpent up, and then he told the people about it. Then the people would tell other people. If, if somebody got bit by a serpent, and they're dying, they'd say, hey, go look at that serpent, and you'll be healed. I'll help you over there. I'll walk you to it. Some people are like, no, thanks. I, I'm just, I, I think I can make it on my own. Others, I'm sure, were assisted to the bronze serpent and healed completely. So, let me ask you this. If you were walking with a friend out in the woods and they got bit by a timber rattler and they're about to die, would you pick them up and take them to the hospital and tell the hospital, hey, he just needs some anti-venom and he'll be healed? Or would you just leave him there to die? I don't know anybody who would just leave their friend to die in the wilderness alone. But Scripture tells us we are all dead in our sin. Every single person on this planet is born into brokenness and sin. 
And we've lived our entire lives with other people in our lives. We know that they don't have the cure. We know that they are terminally ill with a disease that is called sin. And we also know the answer. It's so simple. It's Jesus. God provided the way. He did all the work beforehand. All you have to do is repent and believe. Yet there are people in your life, I know, because there are people in my life, I've talked to many people where we've never shared Jesus with them. We've never told them the cure to a a terminal illness that they have. We just go throughout our life because it's easier to not talk about it. We go throughout our life because it may bring uh, a little bit of pain if we talk about it. We may get rejected if we talk about it. So I want to end with just reading John 3, 13 through 17, in all of its context. No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God did not send the fiery serpents into the world to kill all the Israelites, but that so through those snakes that they could be saved. Because sometimes allowing these things to happen is better because it wakes us up from our worldly thoughts. Uh, we're going to go ahead and have a, uh, just a quick song of invitation, then you'll be dismissed. If, if any of you have anything in your hearts that you want to repent of, if you have somebody in your life who has never heard the cure for this terminal illness called sin, and you want to pray for them, please come up and do so. If you want to commit your life to Jesus, please come up and do that. We would love to be able to talk to you about that. And I'll be available after the service if you need to talk to anybody. But if you would, please stand. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer, and we're going to have a song of invitation. Father, we just want to thank you so much, Lord, that you provide a way out for our sin, for our brokenness, for the things in our life that, that we just can't control, Lord. A lot of the times you may have sent those into our lives so that we realize and recognize that we're really not the ones who are in control at all. And Lord, many of us have had a self-centered focus on life for far too long. And we need to repent. And we need to see that you are drawing us close to you. And that we no longer need to be bound by our sin, by our shame, by our brokenness, by anything like that. But we just need to look upon you and trust in who you are. In the precious name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.